Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Yeah, hi, I'm Jake, uh, Newcastle fan. You get me on Twitter at JakeJuggle2N. Hi, I'm Tadiwa, Liverpool fan. You can find me on Twitter at TadPredicts. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Obviously, here in the business end of the season where individual results can cause really, really dramatic swings. Uh, arguably, one of those happened today with the Brighton versus Arsenal match. Last week, Deserby said we'd see the real Brighton uh, this weekend. And if this is the real Brighton, then obviously their fans are going to be very, very as they beat Arsenal 3 0, potentially uh, ending that title run. But I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the match overall, which was a, a pretty good watch. Obviously, a result that Tottenham fans won't be particularly mad at. But yeah, what, were you surprised by the result and how impressed were you by Brighton? Um, I think I was surprised by the result. I thought Arsenal were going to win. Um, but if you actually looked at the game, um, and I think you could. I think you could sort of say it in the Newcastle Leeds game as well. That I thought that game last weekend, the Arsenal Newcastle game was so intense, um, and both players that put so much into it. Arsenal had the emotional factor after Arteta spoke about what happened in the same game last season, and they they played so well at St James's Park. I just feel like both teams this weekend looked shadows of, of the teams we expected. I think that that game last weekend was so fast paced that they yeah, they just took about them. I think we saw that of Arsenal with Martinelli getting it injured um, early on. Um, Chaka and Jorginho both look like they're struggling, um, and yeah, it just looked like they were they were running on empty. Um, and I think we sort of saw that with Arsenal last season as well, the way they ended the ended the campaign. Um, I don't think I don't think they bottled the title race. I think that's too too harsh. Um, I think if you look at their fixture running over the last few months, it has been a lot. It does feel like they've had a lot of their tougher games at the end of the season. Um, so it's always likely they were going to drop points. Um, and Manchester are just in, in a league of their own. Um, I think for Brighton to bounce back from that Everton defeat, it, it does show a really good mentality. Uh, and we've not really seen that from Brighton this season. They've not really, they've had a, a few disappointing draws, but um, yeah, that, that was such a big defeat that it would be so easy for them to sort of fold away, especially if they're running uh, the game at Arsenal today. Going to St. James Park on Thursday, then I think they've got Aston Villa away um, and Manchester City at home as well. So yeah, they've got a really tough running. Um, so yeah, it would have been really easy for Brighton to sort of fold away and just end with a bit of a win, but we've seen that they, they won't do that. Thought they played really well. Um, definitely felt like today was just a case of getting that first goal. 
Arsenal were probably the better team in the first half. I thought they created the better chances. Um, they didn't really create a massive chance of note, but I felt like they were in promising positions um, in the final third a lot more often than Brighton. They just didn't quite get their final ball right. Um, and yeah, so I, th- I think that 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 first game, that first goal changed it. I thought Arteta's subs were strange. I thought taking off Odegaard when he did uh, it, they just don't have the depth. And Odegaard's that type of player that you probably want to stay on the pitch. Um, so yeah, I, I think he got his subs wrong. But I think we're just seeing with Arsenal is this squad depth has just eluded them when it's when it's come to the run in. Um, and yeah, they they just um, second's a good season for them. But yeah, I, it, it they weren't going to win the title even if they won today. So. Um, yeah, it's not it's not a massively shocking result. I thought that Arsenal would win, but if I take everything into account, sort of their lack of squad depth, Brighton wanting to to prove a point, um, that first goal going in and just the sort of tired legs of that Arsenal team after after the game last weekend, I think it it sort of makes sense in hindsight that that Brighton might have gone there and won. Um, so yeah, it is it's it pretty much ended the title race if it wasn't already ended, but it has added a little bit more spice into that. Um, Sort of hunt for Europe, Brighton obviously moving above Villa, um, wanting to finish in that top six. Champions League probably beyond them now, but they'll be looking to to get as high up that table as possible and, and try and get into the Europa League football and, and avoid the Conference League. So yeah, I think that it's really big for them. Um, and yeah, plays them into form before some tricky fixtures against the uh, teams that are above them or, or just blow them in the table. So yeah, it's added a lot of interest to that that sort of. Third to seventh battle, but yeah, the title race has already gone. I think. Yeah, as Jake has mentioned, I think it it makes that Europa League um, race a lot more interesting. I think for Arsenal um, over recent weeks, we've seen maybe the, I guess the extent of their squad in terms of age. Um, yes, they've got some senior players, the likes of Shojinha and Jacker, who are probably you know older players that have been there and done things in, in in certain capacities. But for me, Arsenal seemed like a team that if Plan A wasn't working, they didn't really know what to do. Um, and you could see sort of the hesitation from the players whenever their game plan gets found out. They they don't know how to adapt or, or how to change things. And I. Don't think it's necessarily their fault, considering how young their squad is. It's going to take them a couple of years to figure out how to change games, how to change their tempo, how to you know shift from the game plan if it's not quite working. Sometimes you have that you know aura in your squad where they're on the pitch. The manager can set up the game how he wants to, the game to go, but sometimes it takes a player on the pitch to say, okay, for the next 10 minutes, we need to do X or Y or Z just because of the way the game is flowing. A manager sometimes isn't able to see that from the sidelines. And, and we've we've heard um, ex-players talk about that in the past. I don't know if Arsenal have a player that can do that in their squad. And I've not seen anyone step up and do that when they seem to get stuck in in games and i thought that was the case in this game they didn't know how to change um their approach and you know brighton sort of just used that to their advantage and just kept capitalizing on on what was being successful for them uh, similar to jake i don't know if it's necessarily uh you know them bottling the league i think this was always cities to lose in my opinion just because of Maybe it's it, it hits a bit too 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 close to home for me because I know what the city team is capable of doing. You know, we've lost twice to them by one point. 
um, in, in recent seasons. They're just an absolute juggernaut. And you have to pull off an, an out-of-this-world season just to beat them. And the moment City smelt like, you know, there's a chance for us to win this title, I think it was it was trouble for Arsenal. They needed to finish them off by January or February where City start to focus on other things because they're just too good a squad, um, too big a squad, too much quality. What they've built there over the last couple of years, um, it, it it takes an absolutely huge effort to be able to overcome them. Uh, you just hope for Arsenal's sake, I guess, is that this isn't just a one-hit wonder and you wouldn't expect it to be considering how young their squad is. They can build from this. They can learn from this and hopefully, you know, it, it drives them um, to then go and take that extra step. They'll have the experience of going through a title race. Not many of these players in the Arsenal team have that experience of going through a title race. At least they have that under their belt and, and hope to take it on to next season. Um, I just want to push back on this a little bit, perhaps predictably, just because we're in Arsenal 13 points up at one stage of the season. Like, I understand that this might not be like a late season collapse because the results really haven't been too terrible. But, I mean, surely this is not just City dominating. I mean, they're going to, the best they can end up is on 94 points, which is obviously a lot. But, you know, Arsenal did also kind of give up what was a relatively large lead at one point in the season. Um, I I don't think they were ever... Were they 13 points up? I don't think they were ever that far ahead. Um, even then, it's, it, it feels like... That feels like a huge points gap. Um, but it just isn't against City. City just win. and Like, City drawing a game is such a big surprise. And they normally finish strongly. We've seen them do this so many years. They, Arsenal needed to get to that sort of 95 to 100 mark to even stand a chance of winning this title. And that's such mm. a big ask. For, for a team that's not even been finishing in the top four, um, there was always going to be a drop-off at some point. And, and that squad depth just caught up to them. So, yeah, I, it, it feels like a lot. Like, if it was roles reversed, it would have, we'd be saying some different things about City. But I think Arsenal, just the inexperience himself, to forgive them that, that point gap. Yeah, I have, to, I have to agree with Jake um, with regards to that. I think I think it... The problem comes when City have so many games in hand. It, it, you know, if you're just looking at the points, it does look like an awful amount of points. But as we've come to know with City, games in hand for them is, is oh, you can almost bank those points. Um, that's just a crazy level that they play at. And I don't know if you can necessarily bottle a league if you get if you end up getting above 80 points. I think that's still <laughs> a, a credible thing to do. For Arsenal, um, especially where they came from, I think it's just the inexperience. They're, they're not there yet. And in any other season, um, City would probably already be at 90 points by now and it wouldn't even be a, a contest. So I think the fact that City maybe started the season a bit slow this year, had to iron out a few things, you know, four losses for City, four draws as well. Maybe that's what inflated the the hype, so to speak, with Arsenal. I, I, me personally, I don't know if this Arsenal team beats any of the recent champions um, of the Premier League, like those. Which is those basically teams. just City um, five. <laughs> yeah, you. City and Liverpool. Like this, I don't even think 
this Arsenal team finishes second in any of the recent leagues, maybe one of the recent leagues. But I just don't see how this team beats, you know, the Liverpool good teams we saw recently or obviously the Arsenal teams we've seen recently. It just so happened that obviously Liverpool were atrocious this season, relatively speaking. Um, City fell off in terms of their ridiculous standards. And we say fell off. And they're sitting on 85 points with 35 games played. Like it's just ridiculous what they're doing. It, you can't. It, it's so hard to 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 compete with them um, at this level. So I, 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 to me, maybe the fact that I just always expected City to do this um, is what maybe dampened my Arsenal bottling it um, side of things. But maybe if I if I wasn't expecting City to get things right and have a strong finish, maybe then I would lean more to Arsenal bottling it. But I, I think City finished the season the way I expected them to finish and Arsenal finished the season the way I expected them to finish as well with, with not enough in the tank come the end of the season. Yeah, I uh, did look it up. January 1st, Arsenal were 13 points up with the same amount of matches played, which is... Uh, really interesting. Um, but I agree with what both of you are saying about City down the stretch. <laughs> and Dad, you mentioned it, unfortunately, too personally for you. Um, City have this ability to just down the back half of the season, just win after win after win. Just an unstoppable juggernaut once they get it kind of in that position. Um, and proved again this weekend with, with another 3-0 uh, win that'll probably see them on their way to the title. Uh, just wrapping up the Brighton versus Arsenal talk, uh, though, where where do you think these clubs are heading? Do you think Arsenal are now potentially title contenders in the short-term future? Do we think Brighton are going to stick in this European zone? Uh, they've already proven they can survive losing big players and big managers. Yeah, I, I don't know if I see Arsenal staying as title contenders. I think it's going to be difficult. I think we're going to see improvements from all the other teams, um, and we we might see improvements from Arsenal. But I feel like they're going to have. I feel like they've done a lot of their their spending. I think it's going to be it's going to be tough for them, especially with Champions League football now. And with the Europa League, they could rotate a lot more. They they won't want to do that with the Champions League. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a big jump for them. Uh, I don't see them. I I only see their points sort of decreasing next season. I think they'll be up and challenging for titles again. In, in the next sort of three to four years, but I think this is going to be a bit of a transitional season for them, just readapting to Champions League football and that the intensity you need to play with that. Um, for Brighton, the, the thing with Brighton, that they are incredibly well run. They've got some great players. Uh, they've got a very good manager at the moment, but we just look, this, this, you know, we were speaking the same about Southampton in years gone by. We spoke about the same about Leicester. It's so tough for these clubs to maintain these levels, um, even if you think Brighton are running the right way. We we said the same about Leicester for a long time, um, and yeah, it's it's going to be difficult. It's so like I, I I must you know you can see Newcastle sort of establishing themselves in that top top eight consistently. You can see sort of Villa moving to do it as well, but for Brighton, it just, it's just going to be so difficult for them because even if they're consistently finishing in the top eight. They're never going to be the end destination for any player or manager. And that's just the truth of it. They just don't have that historical pool or that sort of status that even an Aston Villa would have. Um, so, yeah, 
think we'll see them do well for the next few seasons, but it's so difficult to, to say they're going to establish themselves there for the long term because we, we would have said similar about other clubs. We we said Southampton were the model club to base yourself on. We then said Leicester were. And then we said last year West Ham were. And we West Ham were doing great things. Then this year they've been fighting against relegation with the added European stuff. So, yeah, it's so difficult. Um, so, I, I'm sure that we'll see Brighton challenge up maybe next season as well or, or in a couple of years time but I think we'll also see them battle at the bottom of the league in the next five seasons too it's just it's just that type of type of league for a club of that sort of size that there is a glass ceiling and they may have reached it I think the the interesting thing for me with Brighton is they're almost at a crossroads where they are I guess trying to be maybe obviously the the Borussia Dortmund of the Premier League, where obviously at a, at, at a lower level, but where we're signing players who are relatively unknown, we give you a platform to, you know, showcase your skills, and then it will allow you to then get that bigger move to the next team or whatever. But in doing that, we get your talent, you know, for the next two, three, four years, and then we allow you to move on. With them jumping so far ahead, I, I don't know if they would have planned to be in Europe this season. I, I think they would have hoped to be, but I don't know if that would have been the the five-year plan. Maybe, maybe in a year or two time, that would have been the five-year plan. But I think they've cut that plan um, in, in in half almost. And, and, you know, cutting plans, Newcastle, I think similar thing. If they get Champions League this season, I think they've cut their plan a lot shorter than they were expecting it to be. And the problem for Brighton with that is they would probably need to retain a lot of the players that did well for them this season in order to handle this quick, you know, success that has come um, or has come a lot quicker than was expected. And if they do that, if they hold on to the Casados and the McAllisters, um, you know, I don't know if you want to throw Lewis Dunk in there or who else, whoever else you want to throw in there. If they hold on to those players, does it then hinder their model as a club of being that club that gives you the platform for you to then go to a bigger club? Does that then mean now players are a bit more wary to go to Brighton? Because, wait a minute, you you stopped Caicedo going to Arsenal in January. Okay, we get that because you were pushing for Europe this year. You, you get Europe and then you stop Caicedo from moving to X1Z club in the summer as well. What's going to stop my client from being, you know, hand, you know, handcuffed in that situation? Can they afford to do that? I, I don't know. So it will be interesting to see how how they handle those type of things. The McAllisters, the Casados. Do they let them go and trust their recruitment process and say we'll find the next Casado or the next McAllister, or do they ho- hold on to those players in the hope that they sort of keep their status? Um, in in the upper echelon of the Premier League. And I think that's where Leicester made their mistake. Leicester had the likes of, you know, James Madison, Jamie Vardy, you know, the, the Harvey Barnes, the Tielemans. They could have sold those players during the, the, the years, but they chose not to. Like Vardy was so close to joining Arsenal, he ends up staying. Uh, James Madison, I don't know how many times mm. he's been linked with teams above above them in the league. He's still at at, at, at Leicester. And at some point, those players get tired of the, the the broken promises, so to speak. Are you able then to keep a, a harmonious squad if 
every season I'm being told, play well and we'll let you go. And then that player doesn't get let go. Casado signed a new contract that allowed Brighton to have more muscle coming into the summer window. If he doesn't leave, what's going to be his mindset going into next season? They have to worry about those side of things. So it will be interesting to see how they handle that, you know, how they handle that and, and where they go forward with that. For Arsenal, uh, for me, I think it, it, it's interesting in that they now have a team um, that got them into a title race, whether they bottled it or not, depending on how you see it, they were in a title race um, until late into the season. A lot of these players that got them, you know, through this season will be expecting to have important minutes next season. But in order for Arsenal to, you know, take that next step to to go and win a title, they need to replace some of the starters from this season, next season. Like, I, for me, Gabriel can't be starting for Arsenal next season. Uh, you know, Saliba obviously needs to be fitter, hopefully a year um, older, he's got more experience, etc. Like, you know, but there's some... Ben White, can you have Ben White playing right back? Like, some of these awkward conversations. Can you have Xhaka and Partey? For me, I don't think Xhaka's... You know, as well as he's played this season, I think Arsenal can do better there. There's going to be some awkward situations for Arsenal where if you drop Xhaka from the starting lineup next season, what's that going to mean? If you drop Gabriel, considering these players are, you know, have done what they've done this season, how is that going to do with the squad chemistry? And, and that to me is the biggest issue for Arsenal is how do they upgrade their starting eleven? and not lose the dressing room with players that have contributed so much this season. So two clubs that are in very, very interesting situations heading into next season that could become really bad if they're not handled delicately. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point. We'll move on to another club that's going to be in a very interesting situation uh, in Southampton, who were confirmed to be the first relegated team from the Premier League this season after their 2-0 loss to Fulham yesterday. Obviously, they went through a few managers. Um, they never really found the the locket and striker that they've needed for the last five or so years. Um, there was a lot of excitement uh, on the show when they brought in Hassan Hoodle. That obviously didn't work. Some stuff in ownership. So understandably, they were down and, and around the relegation race. But were you surprised that, that they ended up being the, the first confirmed to go down? Where do you think things went wrong for them? Um. Yeah, it's been an interesting one. Time. They they were the model club for so long. And they've recruited so well. Yeah. Um, you look, you look, you go back. Um, sort of the likes of Toby Alderweireld. He, he first played for Southampton. Mane. Um, they obviously had players come through the academy like Lalana. They had Schneidlin. They signed him when they were in the, the EFL. He went on for for big money too. Um, obviously Virgil Van Dijk. They were the ones that brought him over from Celtic. They they were so well well run for a little bit for sort of a few seasons. Um, they did. Obviously, got Pochettino. They brought Pochettino to mm. the league. Would would he have gone on and managed Tottenham without Southampton? Probably not. So yeah, they they were so good for such a long time, and then I just feel like the Premier League has gotten to them. The grind of the Premier League it will it will grind any club down, and we've seen it so many times. Seen it with Leicester now. We've seen it with Southampton. Um, for some clubs, it it takes longer than others, but you know it, the Premier League is such a grind that it's so difficult to keep finding these players. It's so difficult. To keep getting these managers, and then when you get close to the relegation zone, it's 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 that time. Do you press the panic button or do you stick with what you what you what you know? And the thing with Hassan Hootel, 
you'd have to say he, pr- he probably was a successful coach for them. He did very well for them for a long time. They played good football. They never really looked in danger of going down when he was there. Um, and then this season, they they may they moved him on, but you, you could say in hindsight maybe they shouldn't have done that. We look we look at what's happened with Nottingham Forest with Steve Cooper. They stuck with him. It's sort of gone okay for them. Uh, David Moyes, they stuck with him throughout a sort of a very difficult run. They now are going to survive in the Premier League and could win a European trophy. So maybe they should have stuck with Hasenhutl. Or if 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 you really don't think that, maybe they should have done it at the last end of last season because they left themselves in such a tricky situation there. Pre-season with Hasenhutl, you then decide he's not the right man. It's then it's crucial then when you make that decision for a side like Southampton. You can't get the managerial appointment wrong. You can't make a managerial appointment and then need to correct it with another one. We saw it with Watford last um, in in their last um, season in the Premier League, where they they made so many changes to management and and that didn't work out. If if you make a managerial change, you have to get it right, and they didn't. They they went for Nathan Jones, who in hindsight just looked at, looked an awful choice. He'd never managed in the Premier League. He'd he'd never really shown an ability of Luton to keep them in in the division they're in. Um, he was very good at getting them promoted and. and Compete at the top half of the table, but it's different skills to do at the bottom end of the table, especially in a division that you don't, you've not really managed in before. So that was a bad appointment. And then once you 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 decide to to get rid of him, the options are so limited because you're in such a difficult position. No manager wants to take that that on and and risk a relegation against their CV, unless they're desperate. Like we're seeing with Sam Allardyce and Leeds now, he wasn't going to get another offer. He's not got a future career really. He's he's only. This might be his last job. He might get another one, but he's not playing for his long-term future, so he doesn't mind taking these dodgy jobs. But you're never going to get a quality coach. I think Jesse Marsh, if they would have got him, I think they would have had a chance to stand up with him, like he did at Leeds last year. And I think he had a style that suited the Southampton squad, but they didn't get him. So yeah, it was just poor decisions. And I think the the new ownership who bought Southampton last year, they wanted to do what Brentford have done. They obviously brought in the one of the the main people. Um, who was at Brentford and Ralph Nathankerson, he's got a prominent role in Southampton. So they obviously thought that him being part of the consortium was going to help them get that into place. And a lot of the signings they've made, probably they're good players. But if you sign six or seven young players with limited experience in the Premier League and expect it to work, it's really dodgy. Like with the Brentford, it, the Brentford model is so good because they built it in the Championship. A lot of the players they bought in the Championship they brought with the aim of them improving to be good enough in the Premier League. You can't just buy six or seven players and hope that you turn out a Premier League team in one summer, especially when you're making so many managerial changes. It becomes, yeah, it's just a lot of bad decisions were made there. But you may, you know, it's not that fun being a Premier League club if you're not aiming for something. And I think Southampton, they just got caught in the mire for too long now. We saw it at Sunderland. Um, might, you know, we've seen it with other, other clubs. Um, Burnley were in that sort of turmoil for a long time. It's not that fun. So going down, resetting, bringing in a, a good head coach, getting rid of some of the deadwood, trying to bring some money in, building a better squad in the championship like Burnley did. Yeah, I think they've got a chance of picking back up. But yeah, I think it's a serious bad decision to them, really. They signed a lot of really young players. Um, yeah, I think that was putting a lot of emphasis on the likes of JWP having to be leaders and and really step up this season. I think for me, I liked a lot of their signings during well both windows. Um, I think the the biggest issue for me, and it's been an issue since the beginning of the season, was where were the goals going to come from? 
And the fact that they never got a striker that I was confident enough in getting even 10 goals in, in, in the league this season was always going to be a concern for them um, staying up in the league. I think in terms of where they go going forward, the fact that they did sign a lot of young players, I'm, I'm hoping they get at least a couple of them or, or majority of them to stay and, and they would be willing to stay you know, for the championship run and then the Premier League run the next season. You know, I, I don't know if you can keep Olavia. Um, I, I mean, if I'm you know, me looking with the Liverpool hat on, that's someone I would, I would love Liverpool to bring in. I'm sure, you know, there are other clubs in the Premier League that would love a player like him. But if they can keep players like that, then I think it's safe to say they can come back up quite quickly. And then those players would have a year more experience playing together and experience of playing in a tougher league maybe you know some of these young players you know some of these young boys become men etc that type of thing but um yeah i think the hope for them is can they how much of the squad can they keep together if they can keep a lot of it together i think they'll be fine going into next season in the championship they get to come back up and then try and rebuild again but it it, it will be tough you'd imagine like the likes of uh, jwp are coming back you know, they're going to stay in the Premier League. I don't know if they would go down. I thought it was quite interesting in his post-match interview. Everything was no longer we when it came to Southampton. It was the club and they will. And I was like, oh, that, that doesn't sound like a player that's going to be going down to, to the championship next season. Yeah, you both mentioned the young players thing. And I, I think personally that's where it did go wrong is... I think I may have overestimated Hasenhutl a little bit, but they kept giving him players for him to make better instead of players that were already good. Um, and at a certain point, you just run out of those chips. I think both of you make good points also that with this amount of young players, maybe you do well in the championship and come back up. But these were always players that were going to be better another year from now rather than this year. So like, was the goal to go down and then come back up? I, you wouldn't think so, but it, some of the moves that they've been making have just been really... Strange. Uh, I I think you know because we just came off talking about Brighton. Some of their talent ID has been really good. These are some really talented, high-profile young players. But um, yeah, Ted, I think you were saying <laughs> they were asking a lot of someone like James Ward-Prowse to be like the adult in the room, the person with experience. Um, yeah, the, a lot went wrong after that. But I, I think to to a very uh, limited poor man's uh, comparison, it's like what happened at the end of Pochettino's reign at Tottenham, um, where the issue wasn't the end of the reign. It was that two-year period where they didn't sign any players. I just wonder if it was kind of a similar thing. They just needed more experienced players that were already near, um, you know, potentially maxed out of their air quotes potential rather than continuing to bring in these young players that will be better in the future but aren't quite there yet. Um, uh, we'll wrap up this opening section by getting a quick answer from each of you on how confident you are that you will finish in the top four this season. Obviously, Tad, you were on and we did a version of this with Tottenham, I think in February. And Steve said Tottenham were at a seven or an eight. Uh, seems like a long time ago now, but, but where do you guys stand? Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, was, I was very confident a couple of weeks ago. Uh, just because the margin for error was huge. Um, I think when we beat... Southampton, yeah, one beat Southampton with nine points clear of Liverpool. Um, Brighton were a threat as well, but I thought they had so many games and so many difficult games. I wasn't that concerned about them at that point. Um, 
went into our final five, five games needing seven points. Uh, even six points pass would be good enough if the goal difference holds, but you can't rely on that, especially the way Liverpool do beat some teams. So, yeah, I was very confident then. I thought we'd probably win one of the games in the Arsenal leagues. Uh, take one point from that is, 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 is a little bit of a disappointment. We've, we've opened the door, but we are still in third position. They're still, you know, for Newcastle not to get in the top four now, Newcastle have to lose. They have to not win two games. And they also, then the teams below them have to win all their games. So it's still, the chips are still heavily stacked in our favour. Um, it's just got a lot more nervy than it has to. But um, yeah, I'm still confident. I think we got two home games, uh, a game away at Chelsea, which it's not that, it, it, going away to Chelsea is not the game it was in the last few seasons. We've seen Southampton win there this season. Uh, we saw Villa um, get a draw there. We saw Nottingham Forest get a draw there at the weekend. Um so Brentford win there not so long ago. So yeah, it's not the game it was. So um, yeah, I, I'm, I'd feel a lot more confident if we beat Brighton on Thursday. I think if we don't win that game, it does really add on the pressure that we have to win our last two games. But even so, you probably put Newcastle's favourites to win all three of their games. So to, win, to need to just win two of them, you'd have to hope we're going to do it. Um, it's just, yeah, it's got a lot more nervy, but it's not easy to get in the Champions League. It shouldn't be easy. Shouldn't, a, a team that were bottom three at the start of start of last year shouldn't hmm. be walking into the Champions League. So the fact is, there's a little bit of jeopardy now does add on to, yeah, it sort of make makes sense. But yeah, we still got we still got margin for error. Liverpool don't have any, and I think that's probably what's going to be different. That's probably going to be the difference. It really wouldn't shock me if. Newcastle do slip up to the extent that Liverpool could get in, but then Liverpool don't take advantage. I could see that being a a very possible thing. I think we might be sat here on the final day and saying Newcastle have got Champions League football sixty nine points. Wouldn't surprise me. But um, yeah, I'm still very confident. But to come so close to beating Leeds yesterday when we didn't play well, being two one up and conceding a, a late goal was was gut 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 wrenching. Really, we should have won that game. Newcastle are normally so reliable when they've got a lead. Um, and when the game was 2-1, we had two or three chances where the game was open and we should have got a third and we just didn't take that chance. Felt Anthony Gordon yesterday when he, uh, for the disallowed goal. He had so much time to play that three ball that he's actually delayed it for so long that resulted in an offside goal. So yeah, it felt like yesterday was there for us, but we've got the margin for error. We've still got it. Um, two games at home. It's not easy to come to St James Park and win, especially both under lights as well. The night games at St James Park are even more special than the daytime ones. So I, I think we'll get over the line. But yeah, I do have a few more doubts than I did this time last week. Yeah, there, there's no room for error for Liverpool. They have to win all three of their games. And for me, I, I don't take the whole like, oh, other teams have to do them a favour or anything. That Liverpool have to win their three games and then see where the chips lay afterwards. Um, begging other teams to do them a favour in terms of the teams that are playing against Newcastle and Man United. I'm not buying it personally because I think not making Champions League is is just an absolute failure of a season with, with what Liverpool have done in recent seasons. Um, you look at the, the arrogance of Klopp, the arrogance of the club in terms of heading into the season I, I, so many people were saying you need to sort out your midfield. Your midfield needs to get sorted out. They said 
you know, and, and Klopp even did an interview with, with uh, a Liverpool fan site where they were laughing at, you know, what midfielder could we possibly need? Well, you know, they, they were joking about the, the, the fan uproar, you know, the, the, some of the fans, you know, begging for midfielders and stuff like that. So for me, I think there's no excuses for Liverpool. You have to go and win the three games and see where it leaves you. Um, if you make top four, fine. It's still a failure of a season. Considering the squad that Liverpool have, they're, meant they're in their title window. And that window is going to be closing soon. Like, Liverpool don't have Man City money. You can't, you, you can't waste title windows. Um, it's almost like the NFL. You you know when you've got your quarterback, mm. your franchise quarterback, you've got a window. More so when they're on a rookie contract. Liverpool yeah. had their window with the Salas in their peaks, the Van Dykes in their. Pe- now all of a sudden people are dribbling at Van Dyke. We had like three seasons where people were scared to dribble at Van Dyke. That was like a freebie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they've they've wasted that window. So for me, I'm not I'm I'm not accepting this season even if we make champions league yes it's a spoiled person saying oh scoffing at champions league but this season has been a failure for liverpool if they make champions league cool um i don't think they they, they're in a position to win it next season personally i think this is more than a season's rebuild i think this is a two or at, at, at most three season rebuild to get liverpool back to where they were that's how much they've kicked the the can forward um, so whether they make Champions League or they don't make Champions League, they still need to rebuild the squad. Um, so it it, uh, it, it, to me, as a spoiled fan, as I'm saying, I, I, it doesn't phase me whether they do it or not. Can they do it with the way they're playing at the moment? I'm still not convinced, even though they're winning games, I'm still not convinced with the way they're playing. I still think they can a concede A lot of one-goal wins. And a lot, a lot of games where they sh- they could have easily lost those games that they've won. So I'm not convinced that they're going to go and win all three games, but there is a pathway for them to go do that. Um, and then for Newcastle and Man United, I think the difficulty comes for them in that for some of their games, draws aren't going to be enough. And obviously, you know, the, the Brighton game that was mentioned is going to be key in dictating how that factors in. But I think the good thing for Newcastle is their goal difference is so strong. Whereas Man United's goal difference is absolutely horrendous. They're on plus 10 at the moment, which is just absolutely shocking. So I think there's more worry for Man United not making top four because Liverpool could sneak in on goal difference. Like there's more chance of Liverpool getting through because of that extra point that the goals give them, so to speak. Whereas for Newcastle, I, I I think Newcastle should be able to see it out, and uh, what what a season that would be for Newcastle. Gotcha. Well, good luck to both of you, and uh, maybe it's United <laughs> who drop out. Who knows? Um, all right, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club specific questions for each of our guests. All right, and we are back. Jake, I wanted to start with you. Obviously, uh, things have been getting a little interesting in the races we were just talking about. Um, And part of that is down to the defense. You kept just one clean sheet in the league since January. Obviously, some good wins in there, like a 6-1 against an unmentioned North London club. But I was just wondering why you think a a defense that was so resolute in the first half has started to to show some cracks here down the back half. Um, I'm not that worried about the defense. 
I think in when we were keeping clean sheet after clean sheet, I think we got a little bit fortunate with that. I think um, teams were missing chances. Um, I don't think the actual quality of our defence changed that much. I think we're still pretty pretty similar. Um, conceding about the same amount of chances, it's just that where where teams were not scoring goals and sort of un, underperforming against us, now they're overperforming, and um, where we probably should have had a few clean sheets, we haven't. Um, and I think it's keeping clean sheets is hard. Like we see City every week, they seem to concede a goal. Didn't today, but they normally do. Um, it's difficult because all it takes is one moment. So I'm not that worried about it. Um, I think the one issue we do have is from set pieces. It does seem like we do concede a lot from set pieces. And that seems to be the big, big issue for us. Um, I think I think I saw a crazy stat earlier that since um, the start of the year, Newcastle have had something like. 120 corners and we've conceded 50 corners but we've only scored one from a corner conceded five so that's that seems like quite a big big area to work on um but yeah i'm, I'm not worried i think we're, we're still defending well teams don't have that many chances against us especially at home like the arsenal game you know in the end at the end they scored from 35 yards and they scored an own goal it wasn't they weren't <laughs> like they cut us open a couple of times, but even then there was pressure on the ball. It wasn't like they were they scored easy goals. Leeds yesterday, um, I think the first goal that they scored, we saw why you probably shouldn't be playing a striker at left wing um, because he didn't track the run. Um, and then the the last goal was uh, just got a deflection. It, the guy shot. Pope was probably going to save it, and then uh, yeah, he got a deflection. It was just it's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I'm not too worried. I, I think the the big problem we have in our defence is that we don't have much pace. So um, teams hang it beyond us. And I think we've seen that a few times. I think the Southampton goal that they scored a few weeks ago, they, they got it behind us and we, we didn't defend well enough. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's a huge concern. I still think we were, conceding, we were conceding chances at the same rate when we were doing so well. It's just, it's just turned on us. Um, yeah, so it's not the time for it to turn. It's not ideal, but I'm not worried at but I think there's big improvements we can make. I think we need a better right-sided centre-half. I think we probably need a better left-back. And both those players, if we do sign them, need to have a bit more pace than, than Shaw and Dan Byrne have. Gotcha, yeah. I mean, Trubier basically lost his job at Tottenham because of Eden Hazard's pace. Um, so not not overly shocked uh, that, that pace might be part of the issue. But yeah, it, it sounds like you aren't too concerned and that you've been a bit unlucky. So uh, maybe that'll turn around here in the final stretches. Um, and then I also wanted to ask about, you know, the the unlikely possibility that that you missed out on top four. Do you think that would be met with disappointment or would fans still just be really excited by this kind of huge step forward you made this year? I think it would I think it would be disappointing just because of the, the position we'd put ourselves in. Like um I think most if you looked at the bookmakers odds, they pretty much had us there. Um so to, to miss out from that position would be disappointing. But like as opposed to what Tad was said about Liverpool, if they even if they make tough for it, it'd still be a disappointing season. I feel like whatever happens now, Newcastle had a very good season and had probably performed to a higher level than you'd expect. And it's not even just a position, it's a consistency of performance. Like um you'd probably say it's only the Aston Villa game where where we lost that we've played really poorly. I don't think we've really played poorly apart from that game. It's very impressive to have that consistency. Um like that's the hardest thing to get in the Premier League. We see we're seeing with Arsenal now they're slightly inconsistent. We've seen with um Manchester United, they you know, they can have quite a routine win against Wolves yesterday, but the week before they couldn't 
you know, they, they were well beaten by West Ham. Like, I don't think we see that with Newcastle. We, we haven't really seen them go away and get well beaten very often. Like, if you take points at Newcastle, you've done very well. Um, there's teaming problems. Like, we've still got a squad that is not used to playing at the top of the league, so you've got to drop any points here and there. And we do still have talent deficiencies compared to, you know, the traditional top six clubs. But I think it's been a really good season. Um, to get Champions League would really, like, put the icing on the cake. And if we don't get it, it would be disappointing. But I think after a couple of weeks, you'd still sort of look back and say it's been a very good season. Um, and the, the crazy thing is with the Champions League, if we make, get into the Champions League, we'd probably then be looking to finish third in our group to go into the Europa League because we're going to be four seeds. So <laughs> our aim next week, if we get there, is probably to get into the Europa League. So if we go straight into that competition, maybe it's probably where we're better suited anyway. But um, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but it, it would be really nice to finish in the top four. I hope we do it. I still think we will, but if we don't, I, I don't think it's a huge failure. I still think you'd, you'd write it off and say, you know, it's a learning pro, pro, process. We'd probably make, give the club a better idea of where it needs to strengthen. Um, and yeah, I think we'd, we'd still kick on from there. But Yeah. And it's not exactly I'm, it's not like you need the Champions League money. <laughs> no. I think it, it would it would fast track things further, which would be good. I think that's the main reason I want it, because what it will allow us to do. I don't expect us to go into the Champions League and get very far in the competition. I think we'd probably go out in the group and be looking to get that third spot. Because unlike um, Tottenham, Manchester United, Liverpool, Man City, we don't have the we don't have the European sort of pedigree. We don't have the, the coefficient points. Yeah. We'll probably be in a group with with like Barcelona, PSG, and Ajax. So yeah, it would be great, but. We're not really going to do that well in the competition anyway. So if we do go in Europe League, maybe that's it. That's a better sort of stepping stone for us as a squad, as opposed to going straight into that Champions League. But I'd still be gutted if we missed out just because of the dominant position we put ourselves in. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, Tad, coming to you now. You kind of already alluded to it. Um, there's a lot of people that feel like this was a wasted season for Liverpool because of the lack of investment in the midfield. Uh, so I just wanted to ask you, who who is the midfielder that you most want to kind of fix this for next year? Also, in case you didn't see it, in the post-match press conference, Deserby said that they could lose Caicedo and McAllister in the summer. Yeah, I, I think they reconciled themselves to losing both. Um, it's just whether or not they do it, I guess, is, is, is the thing. Because if, if teams lowball them and they've got a certain price that they want to meet, um, it's, it could get quite interesting. I think McAllister is the most likely um, to leave. It, it almost feels like he's got one foot out the door already. They're, they're already fielding offers and basically spreading them out and, and deciding which ones are better. And then they're going to present it to him after the season. He sort of just left it to his uh, team to, to deal with and then they're going to present it to him. So to me, that sounds like someone that's leaving. They're just going to decide where they're going to afterwards. Um, but in terms of Caicedo, the contract they gave him in January, from my per- perception, was to give Brighton a, a financial buffer for when he leaves, to say, look, sign this contract so that when we ask teams for X amount of money, we can say, well, you've got so many years on your contract. That's why we're asking for this price. So, yeah, I, I, I think they, they've geared themselves to losing both whether or not they do um you know you you never know what these transfer windows what could come up in terms of liverpool 
the issue is if they had decided, you know, to sign maybe one midfielder every two years or at least one midfielder every year over the last three or four years, we would only need one midfielder to fix uh, the situation that's going on at the moment. But the problem is that they haven't signed a midfielder in four years. And it shows in this team. It shows with the age. It shows with the the amount of running that 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 these midfielders have done. But I think the the key thing is we're losing Milner on a free. We're losing Navigator on a free. We're losing um, Oxley Chamberlain on a free. So that's three of your midfielders. Maybe some of them haven't contributed as much due to injuries and and issues off the pitch and and on the pitch as well. But that's three bodies that you're losing. So you're going to have to replace those minutes that you would have projected at the beginning of the season somehow. Either it's young players getting more minutes or it's bodies coming in. So they need to figure that out. And then on top of that, you've got to factor in, you know, the Thiago minutes that are going to be diminished next season if he doesn't move to Barcelona. The Henderson minutes that are going to be diminished next season because they need to manage his minutes. Otherwise, he's just going to keep getting injured. Similar thing with Fabinho. He's getting older. They need to manage his minutes next season. So you're looking at minimum, minimum, I would say, three midfielders that need to come in. Last I heard in, I want to say April, maybe March, was they still believed they only needed two, which I thought was absolutely insane. But that that's what I heard. They only needed two. They felt they only needed two, which makes me think that the likes of Henderson and Fabinho are going to have really big minutes next season, and I'm not optimistic for that. So for me, Kev, I think they, they need a lot of surgery there. But it at the moment, it doesn't seem like they think they need as much surgery as will be needed. I think they need at least three. They need uh, a new number eight on the left-hand side that's going to take over the Tiago minutes and you sort of use Tiago like Madrid are now using Cruz and Modric, where you use them sparingly in the big games, keep them fresh, you know, for those important games. Um, on the right-hand side, you need an eight there. Um, because I don't think Henderson should be starting at this point in his career. I think as a squad player, fine, but he shouldn't be starting. But again, club captain, you know, everything is done for the club. Are they really going to not start Henderson? I don't know. And he's part of the big clique that that Klopp loves, the Milner-Henderson-Robbo clique, where they start every game regardless of form. So there's that um, that's going to be added there. And then I think they need a midfielder to start ahead of Fabinho. So they need a whole new midfield. Um, I don't know if they're going to do all of that, but I think they do, which makes me think that this Liverpool rebuild is going to be over two years opposed to over one year because then, they, the, as I said earlier, the arrogance that they showed in last summer could be arrogance that's going to bleed into this summer and it's going to take another year to realize, okay, crap, we've we've not done enough. And and then maybe they go and address it the next summer. But yeah, uh, I'm not optimistic, I think it's safe to say. Gotcha. And it sounds like what you're saying is there is not one mid, like silver bullet midfielder that fixes your midfield. It is no, you're not, you're, not, you're not bringing in Jude Bellingham to fix everything. That that's That's not going to happen. There will still be holes in that midfield if they do. 
um, which seems to be the narrative that Liverpool have built up over the last couple of years is we're not buying midfielders because we're waiting for Jude Bellingham. And then when yeah. the price that Jude Bellingham was, that we all knew Jude Bellingham was going to go for gets quoted, they're like, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if we we can pay that. I'm sorry, what you, what have you been doing for the? I thought they were building a kitty for the last three years for Jude Bellingham, but um, yeah, apparently they want Jude Bellingham, but at a specific price that allegedly they've already spoken to Dortmund on, and Dortmund have reneged on that price. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. Hmm. Gotcha. Well, uh, yeah, it sounds like a very interesting conundrum and we'll see uh who winds up at liverpool in midfield to to play for next season oh uh, very easy segue into player watch there i was just curious your guys thoughts on uh either the southampton players that have already been relegated or the other players on teams that are in that relegation zone that you think your clubs might be uh interested in signing come the summer um yeah there's a few i think um if Obviously, at Southampton, I think I'd quite like to sign Lavia, but I think a lot of clubs will. Um, I think he'd be he'd be very good for Newcastle. Um, also, wouldn't mind um, one of their centre backs, either Salasu or um, Belakotchev. I think both of those would be good signings. But um, yeah, they'd, they'd probably be um, more rotational players if we got them in. But um, yeah, I think they'd be good players to sign. Um, from the other clubs, um, Leeds, I don't really think there's a lot there. I'd want Newcastle to sign. Um, maybe none too, but um, even then, I don't think I'd be that. But from that, I don't think there's, there's great players at Leeds. Um, and then if it's out of the other ones, like Leicester, if Leicester go down, I'd fully expect Newcastle to, to be in the race to say, sign James Madison. Um Harvey Barnes as well. I'd quite like to see him play for Newcastle. I think he'd, he'd suit Eddie Howe's system quite well. Um, I would, wouldn't mind if, if we were in sort of trying to get um, Yuri Tielemans on a free when when he leaves. That's, you know, regardless if they go down or not, he'll be leaving. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably it for Leicester. Um, I don't think there's, there's too much else there. Forrest, if, if Forrest go down... Um, wouldn't mind Brennan Johnson. I think he's quite a good player. Um, Morgan Gibbs White, I think, has been really good recently. I think he'd be he'd be a good signing for anybody. Um, no, I think they're the main ones that, um, of the teams that might go down. Everton, I don't think there's, a, there's much there. I think I think we I think we'd probably see Newcastle sign Amadou Onana if if Everton go down. I know we've been sort of, we've been heavily linked to him. I know there's been talks of his agents about a possible deal. So I would be surprised if that would happen. Probably even even if they stay up because he's not in the team at the moment. Um, but I don't think anybody else uh, would, would really fit. Um, Dwight McNeil played quite well, but if we were going to sign him, we probably would have done it last summer. So I don't see that one. Um, and yeah, at the back, I don't think there's much there. Um, Calvert-Lewin, I could have maybe seen last summer if Everton would have gone down. But yeah, his injury record and the fact we've now got Wilson and he's that probably means that he, he won't be one that, that comes up again. But yeah, there's, there's still a lot of talent now. Any club that goes down, there's always going to be good players there. Um, we've seen before, you know, Liverpool did very well in, in the relegated market with with Robertson and, and Wijnaldum. Um, yeah, I think Newcastle are definitely going to be in that market again. Last year, we took Pope from Burnley and that was a very good signing. So I'd expect to see us sign at least one from a relegated club 
but yeah, they're, they're the main ones I'd, I'd be I'd be thinking about. Um, I don't think there's much else apart from those those ones I discussed. Yeah, from a Liverpool perspective, I think Jake's mentioned uh, quite a few players that we would probably also be looking at. From Southampton, uh, Lavia, as I mentioned before, I think he's fantastic. Um, I would also be interested in Livramento, considering the new system mm. Liverpool have employed. I think him, him playing as the understudy to Trent could be really, really key because we've seen at Liverpool when Trent doesn't play, we have no one that could play his style of football. I think Livramento could be a, a, a decent understudy um, and, and be able to, to carry the ball and drive with the ball. I think that could be a really fun um, move to make. Bella Kotchap as a centre-back, I think either Joe Gomez or, or, or Matip goes this transfer window, so we need another uh, centre-back to come in. I think Bella Kotchap would be a, a great young player to, to bring in and do a job there. From Leicester, um, Dewsbury Hall in midfield. I, I mentioned we need a lot of midfielders. We also need to beef up our um, homegrown quota, uh, trained in England quota, because as I said, we'll be losing Milner, Oxley, chamberlain um, from our team. So we definitely need to replace them. So Dewsbury Hall, I think, could be decent. Harvey Barnes, I would have said previously, but because we've got... 500 players that can play on the left wing position. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think we would be able to go for him. Um, James Madison, I just think he'll be too pricey for for Liverpool with how much they need to do this window. So I, I, I would probably have to give him a miss. Tielemans, I think my only worry for him is he's played a lot of minutes at such a young age. Um, I, I worry about the years that are meant to be his peak, whether or not they will be his peak or or he'll just have too much uh, running on his legs. So, yeah, it, it ends up probably being Dewsbury Hall from Leicester. Uh, from Leeds, I just don't think any of their players fit us stylistically. So it, it uh, I'd have to give them a miss. Uh, Everton, Onana is, is the one that I would want. against Again, another midfielder. And then from Nottingham Forest, um, Brendan Johnson would, would be interesting. Um, because we don't have someone that can play as a wide player on that right-hand side, really. Um, I think the closest we have is Harvey Elliott, who, in my opinion, isn't a winger and he's not necessarily a midfielder either. He's kind of in between. Uh, so he could be quite cool to to bring in. But the one I would really, really want from Nottingham Forest is Danilo. I think he would be a fantastic player to come in and sort of deputise um, and you know, with Fabinho and and sort of learn from him going forward. But yeah, though I, th- I think those are the players that I would be looking at if I was Liverpool. Gotcha. Um, to just to offer some uh, unasked for opinions on Tottenham, uh, I understand that a lot of uh, people like the movie Moneyball, and I can't help but think that if we lost Harry Kane, instead of trying to replace Harry Kane, you'd have to try to replace the set piece goals and penalties that Harry Kane provides, which means that somebody like James Ward-Prowse, who I'm sure people might not think uh, is top six material as a midfielder, might be part of a solution to fix that um, if if uh, Spurs did indeed lose Kane. Uh, especially with Gianni Vio at the club, if he stays as kind of like the set-piece guru, 
I could just I could just see it, uh, especially if you're in a rebuild, him being like a player that maybe carries over to whatever the next iteration is. Uh, but yeah, anyway, weird, weird hot take from me. Uh, we'll wrap up with match previews. Uh, Jake, you already alluded to it. Huge match against Brighton midweek. What are you expecting? Oh, it, it's going to be a great game for the neutral. Um, it's probably going to be a great game for Brighton fans, to be honest. They've, uh, I, I don't think they'll be, I think they'll get European football regardless of the result. So it's not quite the same jeopardy. Um, I think for, for Newcastle, it's such a big game. If we win, I think we'll finish in the top four. I don't think it's, if, if, you know, if you go into those last two games, one of which being Leicester at home, needing three points, you're probably going to get them. Um, yeah, I, I just don't like the idea of that pressure being and that we need to win our last two games. It's a huge game. I think the game at the Amex, the second game of the season, Brighton absolutely battered us and we came away with a nil-nil draw and we didn't deserve one. They were so good that day, um, which would worry me, but I think now Newcastle have improved a lot since then. I think Brighton have as well, but I think at home, we're we're a... You know, we're, we're good enough to beat anybody at home. Um, even the two games we lost um, to Arsenal and Liverpool, we probably created the better chance in both those games. And I think in both those games, I think it might have been Jacob Murphy in both of them. Or if it wasn't him against Liverpool, it was somebody else. But we had massive chances in the first minute of both those games. And if we score in that first minute, sorry, Kev, we know what we can do to a team at home. So it's, it's really that I think we'll come out quick. And if we get that first goal, I think we'll win the game. But if we don't, um, yeah, it could get nervy. But I think the atmosphere is going to be great. Um, it always is when it's a, a night kickoff at St. James's Park. And that atmosphere can intimidate. Um, and I think Brighton are the type of team it could intimidate. I think with Arsenal uh, and Liverpool, you know, these are players that have played at the very highest level. They've done so much. It's not quite as intimidating. For a team like Brighton, the players they've got, I think they play above themselves and going into that type of atmosphere, it, it can be difficult. And I think I think for that reason, Newcastle are going to win. I feel like at times this season, when we needed to pull out a win, like that Spurs game, we really needed to win that. Otherwise, it, we, we probably wouldn't still be in the top four now. That was a real turning point. The Manchester United game, that was a massive turning point as well. When we need a result at home, we normally get it. So yeah, I'm going to back us to win. And I'm going to say... I'm going to say 2-1. I think it might be nervy towards the end. I, I can see Newcastle going 2-0 up and then Brighton scoring. They're getting quite nervy, but I think we'll get the win. I, I, I do believe that. I think if it was away from home, really worried. But yeah, at home, in the game we need to win, normally we do pull out a win. Gotcha. And then we're up with you, Tad, facing uh, Lesser with uh, <laughs> some of the players we just talked about. Obviously not in a very good way themselves. Are you hoping for a win? Yeah, as as I mentioned earlier, that there's there's no alternative. We have to win every single game for the rest of the season. Uh, I think looking at our fixtures, it, it's favourable because Leicester away, Leicester haven't been great. Um, I think defensively, they're they're a mess at the moment. Can they cause us problems on the counter attack? Certainly, and and I I'm not banking on us keeping a a clean sheet in this game. But I just think going forward, we're going to have too much firepower. I've I've gone 3-1 to Liverpool in that game. And then if you look at our last two games, um, Aston Villa, but at least it's Aston Villa at Anfield, um, where we're usually quite good. And then the last game is Southampton 
Um, obviously, they've they've been relegated already, so we don't know what Southampton turns out there. So probably Leicester, are, they would match our our style of play quite well in terms of their counter attacking if they employ that that style of football. But I'm just so worried about Leicester's defense. There doesn't seem to be much organization there at the moment, um, which is probably going to be what Liverpool rely on. Yeah, so we'll wrap up there. If you want to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, that would be a good time. Yeah, thanks for listening. Um, you can get me on Twitter at JakeJackWall2Ends and I'll post about anything that I do through there. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kev. You can find me at TadPredicts on Twitter and um, on a Tad Predictable podcast on the EPR Index channel. Uh, Jake score for Banker or Burnett this week did not top his current top score of 18 out of 25, but he he is the current leader of our um, season competition. So it looks like if 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 Newcastle don't get a top four. The, the the proverbial top four trophy. There's certainly a trophy that's likely to be coming to Jake Jackman uh, at the end of this season with the Banker or Burner competition. <laughs> well, well uh, congrats to Jake on that, uh, regardless of, like you say, what happens for Newcastle. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable on Twitter or by searching EPL Roundtable on any of your podcast clients. Uh, but yeah, huge thanks to Jake and Ty for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. 